0: Hey everybody, and welcome back to another episode of There I Read It, where I'm going over the Harry Potter books chapter by chapter for the first time ever. And today I have a special guest co-host with me. Hi, Adara. You want to say hello?
1: Hi, everybody. Uh, my name is Adara and I've been making YouTube videos for three years.
0: I will have a link below so that you can find her easily. And um, this was a very interesting chapter, a lot of crazy things going on, including a death day party. So let's jump right into all these wiggity-waggity notes, because I'm cool like the 90s. But my notes on this chapter uh, start with Madame Pomfrey, who is the nurse of Hogwarts, she has made a pepper-up potion to cure everybody's common colds. And there is a heavy, heavy rain going on around Hogwarts, but Quidditch practice is still going strong.
1: I always thought that it was really cute to see how Cedric was very hardworking the entire year, because he's always really passionate about Quidditch. No matter if it rains, if it's sunny, uh, snowing, whatever. Uh, Cedric is really passionate and it really reminds me of, like, how in my culture, Brazilians are very passionate about soccer. Like, children would always play, uh, soccer no matter what the weather was. And to see that the muggles and the wizard people have that thing in common, that passion for sport that they really love, I think it's really wholesome because it connects us as humans. Like, it really shows that we're all human beings. So I always thought that Cedric being so passionate was very cute.
0: That's an adorable read of wood. I I saw him a bit more of those, like, overly obsessed high school coaches where you're just like, it's just a
1: game, calm down. But I love your take on him. That's so much sweeter. (laughs) Oh yeah, he's definitely obsessed, like... He's very dedicated. Exactly, like he's very dedicated, and I do respect people that are dedicated to something that they're very passionate about, even if I'm personally not interested in it. One of the reasons why I admire Cedric so much as well is because... He's a leader, so he has to be rough on everybody. He has to be hardworking and bossy because it's what a leader does. That's true. It is is a
0: lot easier to be the follower than the leader because once you're the leader and all the responsibility of everything falls on you, it, it makes a much different impression on how you handle things.
1: So that's why he's kind of annoying sometimes.
0: Yeah, that, that's a great read on Wood. I've I've not thought of him like that yet, so um, I'm glad that you have that different perspective and kind of. You know, get get me to see a different side of things. We also have, or at least I have written down here, the Nimbus 2001s are described as being like missiles, which I feel like that has to be not accurate because that would be so dangerous. And especially when you think about, you know, the broom just bouncing up and down almost killed Harry. Now imagine it being a missile type of speed and, and trying to hang on to it as a kid in middle school. It just doesn't seem like a smart thing to make
1: i think they have kind of like a maximum velocity thing right i think that the students when they play quidditch they never reach that maximum velocity because it is dangerous like you said right it wouldn't be good for anybody because even though the field the quidditch field is like i don't know i think it's like the same size of like an american football stadium right I would say maximum is like twice the size of an American football stadium, right? But even still, if they went uh, at maximum speed, it would be extremely dangerous because they could hit each other, right? So it's like when you drive a car, you need to control the speed. Yeah, I I wonder about that too, of like how many things are
0: described from the perspective of an 11 or 12 year old who are, they're going to see the world very differently than, of, of course, an adult who's sort of used to it and bored with it and its old hat. It's like, oh, look, those are going a whole half a kilometer faster than the old brooms. But to Harry, it's just like, whoo, zoomed right by. That's true. It could also just be Harry's perspective. I'm sure the Nimbus 2001s are a little bit faster than the 2000s and other models, but, you know, not crazy, crazy, I've got a rocket between my leg kind of speed. And then Harry goes back into Hogwarts, and he comes across nearly headless Nick just being so sulky at the window, And he explains to us that he was hit 45 times in the neck with a blunt axe, but that was not enough for him to be part of the Headless Hunt because he's not headless. He still has a little bit of skin and such holding his head together. And the person who chose to reject Nearly Headless Nick from the Headless Hunt is Sir Patrick Delaney Podmore. And while Nick is just in this little self-pitying mode that he doesn't get invited to be part of the cool kid crowd, the cool headless kid crowd, Harry is lamenting that he needs seven free Nimbus 2001s, but the boy is rich. He's not the victim here. He has the money where he could buy these brooms. And it's like, Harry is so loaded and he never even thinks to offer anything to anybody (laughs) and that strikes me as so weird like you would think a kid who grew up with nothing would be very much like oh yeah i want to share with everybody but he's he's very much like don't look at me i don't have money no no there's no gold in my vault
1: Uh, it's it's strange like do you do you have any thoughts for why he's like that I think the reason he's like that is because Harry doesn't have an income, right? Like a family has an income. The mother and the father have an income, but Harry doesn't have any parents. So I think he's stingy with his money because of that.
0: So maybe he's thinking about it from a mindset of, oh, I need to save because I
1: don't have an income. So I don't know, you know, what's gonna be around the corner. Yeah, like he doesn't have uh, a steady income, right? So that's why he's thinking with his money. That's why he's extremely careful of how much he spends. It's like you said, he grew up with nothing, right? So I think subconsciously he fears that um, if he just spends his money recklessly, he's not gonna have any money anymore. And since he doesn't have a way to get any income later on, then that's why he doesn't, you know, buy brooms for everybody, right?
0: (laughs) I'm rich, but not that rich. I'm frugal. It is strange that it doesn't even, like, cross his mind, especially, like, when the Weasleys, who have been, you know, taking care of him for a big chunk of the summer, like, they can't afford the supplies they need for school, and he doesn't even, like, chime up. And he does give Ginny books, but I don't think those books were on Ginny's list. They were on the second-year students' list. Yeah, that's true. So it it just seemed, like, so weird, like, give them to Ron or something, like, you know, offer to buy them books, offer to buy them some food, you know, something semi-significant to show some appreciation for all that they've done for you this summer but um i i can see the point where he's going like oh well i'm not getting any more money in so i need to be conservative but then i wish they kind of would have put that thought process in because I think that's a little bit more advanced for a 12-year-old to be really considering that long term.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree, considering that Harry is mature in other, immature in other ways, right? Uh, but that's always how I interpret it. And yeah, I would say that's bad writing in Roland's part. And I agree with you. They should have put that process in. But here's another thing as well. I feel like Molly and um, Arthur, like Molly Weasley and Arthur Weasley, I don't think that... They would accept Harry's money even if he did offer to buy something because a mother's instinct is always to protect, a mother's instinct is always to be the provider. So, like, out of pride and partially out of love and motherly nature and care and all that stuff, I I don't think Molly would have accepted. I could see that.
0: Yeah, I could agree with that, that Molly would not want to take Harry's money, but I'd still kind of like to see just to show Harry as like a different side of him, like a better person than I see him right now. Like, just to do the offer, even if it's rejected. Oh, yeah, definitely. I think that would be good if he did. It's not like he didn't eat and take up resources that they had to pay for so i i I don't know i I
1: just would have liked to have seen the offer happen at least yeah like i said it's like bad writing on roland's part
0: yeah I, i see a lot of like really poor me 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 kind of whining through a lot of a lot of everything that harry does to a point where i at least at this point i find him pretty annoying like there's other characters i like but harry is really far down that list
1: Oh no, definitely. I mean, he is definitely very whining in the beginning, but he kind of chills down. He, he he grows up. I mean, he's just a kid after all. He doesn't know what he's doing. Well, I'm glad to hear he will hopefully grow out of that eventually. But uh, Quidditch practice
0: ends. Harry comes back into the castle just like covered in mud. Despite Quidditch being up in the air, I guess he, like, walked, trudged to school instead of flying back, like, would make sense. But Nearly Headless Nick is in there just sort of lamenting that he's not getting invited to be in the Headless Hunt. And he mentions that he was hit in the neck with a blunt axe... 45 times and his head did not come off and my initial
1: a reaction is like what did he do <laughs> like who did he take off considering nearly headless nick is a really good guy i don't think he ticked anyone off i don't think he bothered anybody I think it was probably just hunted, right? Like, maybe he was just a killer that wanted to kill him for absolutely no good reason. Or they wanted to rob him or something like that. I think that's what happened. I, I mean,
0: this is, I think, the first time we're really getting more out of Headless Nick than we have in the past. Because he just sort of floated in and out before in the first book. He, he didn't really have a significant anything.
1: I think it's really interesting also that they don't celebrate their birthdays, right? They celebrate their death days, which I think is uh, pretty cool. Because, like, there's no point in celebrating a birthday when you're not alive anymore. So it's like an opposite birthday to death day, right? But, like, I feel like that's because ghosts, they don't have much to do. They, they kind of live boring lives because they're dead and they can't and go to the afterlife so that's why they have no worries right they don't have to eat or sleep or do anything really they just kind of exist in this infinite loop of being alive but not really
0: it is very much like they seem to revert back to like a high school mentality and and just like oh it's just about who's the most popular who gets to do this or that and who gets excluded And that's very much their world because, yeah, like you said, they don't really have anything else to worry about at this point. Oh, and then I want to get a quote out of page 126 from the original paperback version of the books. So then Filch comes out and he catches Harry just making a huge mess of the hallways and and he's like, oh you're in trouble, come with me. And Harry tries to protest by saying it was only a bit of mud, but Filch's response, it's really interesting, he says, it's only a bit of mud to you, boy, but to me it's an extra hour of scrubbing. And you know, when he puts it like that, I mean Filch really has every reason to be angry. I mean, when I think of the word caretaker, that's not a maid, that's not a janitor, that's somebody who takes care of the property and keeps it from falling apart. Yeah, that could include some cleaning responsibilities, but it, it like you're not supposed to be following behind these kids with a mop, and these wizard kids just sound like pigs. Like they're they're making messes everywhere and they clean up nothing, even though it should just be a flick of the wand and, and it's handled. So I feel like Flitch, Filch is completely just justified in just being angry all the
1: time. But yeah, definitely. I think it's kind of sad. But I try to forgive him a bit because he's a kid, he doesn't know what he's doing, so I I don't get mad at Harry too much, but the fact that you pointed that out, it really definitely brings into perspective and really makes you think a bit, definitely. And it also
0: doesn't make any sense to me if the caretaker of Hogwarts is expected to clean. It seems like a wizarding person who can use their wand and go swish swish and clean it all up would be the kind of person that you want for this type of a job not the person who has to do it all by hand he's hand polishing trophies he's out there having to like clean what was it like frog guts or something from the ceilings
1: like that's not easy for him Oh yeah, Uh, now as an adult, I completely side with Finch. Like, I remember when I was a kid, I would look like Finch and like, like, no, you're the ugly grumpy dude, so I'm not gonna give you any pity. But now as an adult, I definitely feel bad for him. And it's like you said, I never thought of that. Like, yeah, what would it kill for the kids to just flick their wand and clean up after themselves? Like in Japan... Children are, are taught like since kindergarten to take care of their class. There's no such thing as a janitor in Japan. So they really should adopt that, I think. And when Harry walks into Filch's
0: office, he describes it as dingy, windowless, with moth-eaten furniture and this fried fish smell everywhere. And I really don't understand why all the other wizards and witches are so cruel to Filch. Like, magic him some furniture. Give him some better lighting. Get him a window, even if it's a fake window. I mean, you guys can do that here. All you have to do is care a tiny bit to take 10 minutes of your day to make his office nice. I don't, I don't get it.
1: Yeah, me too. I felt really bad for good old Finch. He's just trying to survive, man. He just wants to vibe with the wizards, you know. He wants to be taken seriously like everyone else. But, you know, I guess the squid's gotta make a living, right?
0: Then, nearly headless Nick convinces Peeves the Poltergeist to make a commotion up above Filch's office so that Filch takes off. And Harry's in there alone for a few minutes, and that's when he finds this thing called Quick Spell on Filch's desk. And as he's looking over it, it's like a correspondence course for basic magic and when filch comes back and notices that that specific quick spell document has been moved he is so embarrassed he basically lets harry go because he is just he's so ashamed and i felt so awful for filch he has to live in this horrible situation where he doesn't seem to fit in but he wants to desperately but he he's still not really accepted like they don't seem to want him there
1: so i think it's really nice that he's trying after so long right because Finch is pretty old, right? He's like a boomer. <laughs> I don't know, but like just because he's old, right? Doesn't mean that he doesn't have a heart. He doesn't have feelings. I
0: I don't know. I mean, he seemed like just this bad guy for the sake of being bad guy, you know, this crotchety old man in the first book. But if this is a hint of what his life is actually like, it's it's just depressing.
1: We see him as grumpy and uh, ugly or whatever, but that's from a kid's perspective, Rad. It's like, I feel like Finch is just misunderstood. He's not bad.
0: But then, as repayment for Nearly Headless Nick getting Peeves to drop the, I think it was a bookshelf, right over Filch's office, Nick wants Harry to bring his friends and come to Nick's 500th death day party. And uh, we had kind of discussed this in chapter one of this book, but being his 500th death day party, the book says that Nearly Headless Nick died on October 31st, 1492, which means right now it would be 1992. So I was right in that random thing I heard years ago that Harry does go to school during the 90s.
1: But I really like the fact that we're talking about this chapter, right, overall, because I really liked the Death Day because it's like the, the exclusive ghost chapter in the entire series, right? We talk about ghosts every once in a while in other places in the book, but like this is the ghost chapter and that's why I really like it.
0: Then Harry, Ron, and Hermione agree that they're going to go to the party, but they have to miss the big Wizard Halloween banquet, and that's that's kind of sad for them. But at the party, we meet Moaning Myrtle, and she haunts a toilet and floods the bathroom there. Which I have recently been watching and reading this uh, manga and anime called Toilet Bound, and I don't know if if that's a thing. Like, hey, we haunt toilets. That that's like a ghost trope, but I've never heard of it anywhere except for these two places and it's just weird for me having taken in both of these forms of media so close together that now even though i've gone my entire life without hearing of a ghost that haunts a toilet now there's two of them back to back
1: yeah i don't think it's common like worldwide I think it's pretty unique. It's like, oh, why is she hunting a toilet? But then you find out why she's hunting that toilet, why she's haunting that bathroom, right? But I wouldn't say it's, like, a particularly popular kind of haunting. I wouldn't say that. But, like, it does remind me of something like, for example, Bloody Mary. So I think it's something along those lines, like, the girl that haunts the bathrooms...
0: And the living kids see that there is party food, and they go over to the table so excited to finally eat, but it's all rotted. And this ghost comes with his jaw all unhinged, and he sort of gloms over it like Slimer,
1: but doesn't take any of the food because obviously he's dead. I thought it was pretty creative, the fact that they could taste the food, right? Just by floating with it, and they could only taste it because it's all putrid, and and strong like it needs that strength and needs that kick for them to be able to taste it and like i think that's really interesting what a- almost taste it they said so they
0: don't even really taste it but they can almost taste it which is an interesting way to handle that yeah exactly they can almost taste it it reminds me of that skeleton in the last unicorn that's just like give it to me if you don't want it but don't throw it away i can remember the taste of wine so yeah yeah, it's just such an odd detail to write in there it's like here's rotted food so that the ghost can almost kind of taste the flavor of
1: it also i wanted to give a fun fact about moaning myrtle that i wrote down here in the movie she's actually casted as like a woman that's like in her 20s or something i don't remember but she was an adult oh no i think she was much
0: older than that because she was in bridget jones's diary and i think she was like a 40 something in that
1: movie the original cougar (laughs) Exactly. So, like, this really old actress uh, is playing a 12-year-old child. Like, I have no idea why they chose that. It's so weird. She had the voice. She had that perfect
0: voice. But yeah, yeah, I recognized her right away from, like, Bridget Jones and some other things. And it's like, wait a minute, that's, like, that's a really adult woman. That is not a little kid. Then Ron, Harry, and Hermione are leaving the party, and Harry hears the voice in the hallway. It says, RIP tear kill so hungry for so long kill time to kill i smell blood i smell blood and nobody but harry hears it and then they get up to the top of the stairs and written in blood on the wall or at least I think it was blood it says the chamber of secrets has been opened enemies of the air beware and then Harry slips in a water puddle right before noticing that mrs. Norris the cat is hanging by her tail just completely immobile and I was really scared the cat was gonna die I know it's not a real cat it's just a fictional cat in a book but I don't want to see a cat die but her eyes are darting around so I'm, I'm pretty sure that she's gonna be okay but the water puddle does make me curious and adara had explained all that to me of what was going on but i don't want to give out spoilers for those of you who are reading along with me so i will just say that uh, i was right to notice the water puddle, and it is a clue but as ron harry and hermione are sitting here just sort of digesting all of this weird information in front of them The Halloween banquet lets out and all these other students end up in the same room and they're all just sort of like, what the heck is going on? And Malfoy, for no provoked reason, just shouts out, enemies of the air, beware, you'll be next, mudbloods. And I I just don't know why associate yourself to that? Like, here's this very ominous kind of scary thing on the wall. People are obviously freaked out by it. And instead of also being freaked out by it, Malfoy just kind of takes the opportunity to go like, hey, let me throw out a jab against these
1: non-magical
0: parent-having wizards.
1: And it's just like, shut up! Are you stupid or crazy? Yeah, the reason why Malfoy is like being free with his thoughts is because I think at that point the teachers hadn't come it was just students in those quarters, right, from all the houses. And it's like an accepted racism, at least in the Slytherin house. Like, it's like the most racist house, and he said it mostly for the Slytherins who were closer to here.
0: Personally, I probably would have expelled him for saying something like that. That's just a little bit horrendous for this situation. I mean, the word mudblood would obviously be upsetting at any point in time, but I, I don't know.
1: Yeah, um, again, I also think that's kind of bad writing from Roland, at least in the beginning. I mean, she was trying to appeal to children, right? Which means like, oh, there must be a bad guy. It's like whenever somebody gets bullied at school, nobody does anything about uh, somebody that gets bullied. But then later on, she was like, oh no, bad uh, people from Slytherin can be good, or they could just be misunderstood. And they seem to be
0: embracing that. Like, they're always laughing at the at the mean-spirited jokes. Like, there's none of the. Slytherins that are like, hey, no, we're going to be good people. Like, they cheat at Quidditch, they're they're mean-spirited every time we see them. Like, we don't see any goodness out of any of the Slytherins, and that's kind of disappointing.
1: Yeah, well, like I said, um, it's like the stereotypical bullying, right? And some bullies, like, even in grim situations, they say... St- Inappropriate things.
0: Even in the 90s, if kids don't want to be snitchy, you would still think there would be some of them who are so offended by that word that they'd say something to the professors.
1: Yeah, that's true. Like, but this is like European culture, right? And Europeans are very much like that all over Europe. They're like, it's not my business. I don't care. I'm not going to meddle. It's not worth wasting my time on it, right? Like, it's different kind of culture.
0: And I guess I don't know for sure. Maybe there is going to be some comeuppance for Malfoy saying that. But I feel like it's just going to be glossed over. And it's it's sort of like a misdirection. So that we're going to think Malfoy's up to something.
1: Yeah, that's true. I didn't think of, like, that he should be suspicious. I guess maybe that's just a plot hole, right? Like, because Harry thinks he's suspicious. But then again, Harry always thinks Malfoy is suspicious, like, Like, every time something happens, it's like, Malfoy is like, he's
0: doing something. Not that he couldn't be, but like I've said before, he doesn't really strike me as a true villain. He's just kind of more of the Buford from Phineas and Ferb type of bully where he's just, "Ah, but hey, wait, I want to play with you, actually. Let me tag along. I'm lonely. I feel very much like that's the level that Malfoy is going to get
1: over time. But um, then again, I could be completely wrong. Yeah, like that bullying thing, teachers weren't near, so that's why and the Malfoy, ha- like, he comes from a big family, right? So sometimes when people have that much power, they don't want to, like, mess with the Malfoys. They don't want to mess with this powerful family. So that's why, um, even if somebody did hear it, uh, if they know that Malfoy is, like, a jerk or anything, they don't do much about it. There's another nitpick that I have with J.K. Rowland's writing, and that is the fact that she's always, like, reintroducing characters, even though we know them like when she talks about mrs norris or that poltergeist dude whose name i don't really remember right now what was his name oh oh uh peeves yeah yeah peeves so rolling keeps like giving like descriptions and introductions like we haven't heard of them before And I find that so annoying because it's like, dude, I read the first book. I get it. This is for people that haven't read the first book, but I still find it annoying.
0: See, I thought it was kind of a clever way to make it for people who did skip over the first book or, you know, maybe you go to the book fair and they only have the second book kind of thing. And so if you jumped in here, then you're not totally behind and... Yeah, for me who just read the first book, it's a little bit like, yeah, I know, I know, we can move it along, but I I can appreciate how it's sort of indoctrinating in that sense because you just keep getting told the same things over and over, whereas in Tolkien... You know, you better remember what was on page 5 because it's going to show up 15 books later and God help you if you don't remember because it's not going to make any sense.
1: Yeah, like, there's that huge difference, right, between Tolkien and Rowling. Like, Rowling wrote for children and Tolkien wrote for adults. However... I feel like children are they are much smarter than this, I don't want to hear this thing over and over, I don't want to hear this dialogue again, so I feel like there should be like a mutual respect there between author and reader.
0: I can definitely see that point where there are authors um, that are just like, okay, you know, I explained this. It's on you now to remember that and carry that information forward. But I I can also see, especially for a book, I think the intended age range is like 8 to 12, where you want to beat that into their head so they remember it. Uh, Did you have any other notes that I didn't cover? I think that was the end of my
1: notes there for this chapter. Well, like, there's just one more thing that I wanted to comment because I remember in one of your, uh, there I read it, you had a question about the ghosts you had a question about why do the ghosts live in hogwarts and like do ghosts only live in hogwarts and other i just wanted to explain real quick that ghosts they live all over the country or even all over the world and they just live wherever they feel like living because they're dead right so uh there's nothing you can do to a ghost already that hasn't been done so some some ghosts are welcome like some ghosts want to live in hogwarts and they're welcome in hogwarts and they're invited to go to hogwarts and like ghosts they have friends all over the country ghosts like the people that were invited to nearly headless Nick's uh, death day they came from everywhere right uh for example like the hunters like headless hunters they're not hogwarts ghosts so that would be like to answer your question that you had yeah, uh, that's,
0: that's I forgot I had that question. But yeah, that, that does get answered with this chapter with all the international and, and non-Hogwarts ghosts coming to the 500th death day party. I, I still wonder though, like, is there a criteria to become a ghost? Because why aren't James and Lily Potter ghosts then? That seems like a, another big plot hole that I, I feel like they're never gonna fulfill for us.
1: So it's not particularly a plot hole, maybe a little bit. But the thing is, the way that you become a ghost is that You have unfinished business in the Earth realm, so that's how you become a ghost. You would think leaving your infant child behind would qualify, but I guess not. Well, I think in Lily and James's case, it's kind of special because Lily did the best that she could, which was providing a love protection for Harry and James, he fought to the death. So I feel like they are at peace with themselves. They have accepted death. They have embraced death. I feel like ghosts, they turn into ghosts because they haven't embraced death. Like, to become a ghost, you have to have emotions that are so strong that it has to be something completely unfixable. You have to really, really resent your death, even if you resent your death for extremely stupid reason. And the worst thing about the fact that these ghosts, like, have a stupid reason to not want to accept death is the fact that since it can never be fixed, they're just kind of stuck in this limbo where they're a ghost forever, right? Because you can only move on from being a ghost if you are able to finish your unfinished business which is I- impossible for most ghosts for example in, in like nearly headless nick's case like he w- his head was chopped off and like it was never chopped off the whole way
0: <laughs> something that can never be fixed
1: yeah And like that bothered him to a point that it transformed him into a ghost and there is not a way for his head to come off. So that's why he it's like a curse, really, like he'll never be able to move on because of that, because it's like an unfinished business that can never be finished, basically.
0: Okay, so it's it's not even like Casper where you can help them make peace and move on. It's just like, I'm here forever. Give me a job. Last question I have for you, then. What house are you?
1: Oh, that's a really interesting question. I see myself as a Ravenclaw, but part of me is also Hufflepuff because personality-wise, I'm an ENTP and an ENFP at the same time. Because depending on the periods of my life, I've always been separated in half from my thinking and feeling sides. I've always been... um. A little bit of both which means I've always been a little bit of Ravenclaw and Hufflepuff but I do identify with the Ravenclaw house more because it's the house where I want to belong it's the house that I admire the most I admire the thinking people more than the feeling for example my favorite character in the Harry Potter world is actually Luna Lovegood because when I saw her for the first time I really related to her with the whole thing is like you're just as sane as I am. So, like, I can really relate to that, and I find her very charming.
0: I know, I love her, too. I'm excited for her to come soon. I
1: thought she came in the third book, no? No, yeah, unfortunately only the fifth book, with the whole carousel carriage thingamajig. That's when she shows up.
0: It would have been every chapter, like, no loony yet, but maybe someday there'll be a sighting well okay i think we've squeezed everything we can out of this chapter so i'll let you go here remember everybody you can see adara on her channel adara the shallot link will be in the description so it will be very easy for you to find and click she has all kinds of really interesting theories on there i think you guys would enjoy um anything else you want to add
1: Nothing much, just that I'm going to start uploading. I already started uploading videos. I took a big break and I'm finally back and I plan to upload every other Wednesday on the main channel and I also started an anime channel for those who are interested and then that channel I upload every other Saturday. So if that's the kind of content you like, uh, I would be very happy if you go subscribe and I would really look forward to seeing you there. Oh, uh, what's the name of that channel? Filthy Casual Boomer
0: okay you send me the link i'll put both links in the description thank you
1: it's still a work in progress
0: oh you're very welcome thanks for having you know notes and being prepared to you know have fun with me here and other than that i guess we'll just kind of say bye bye
1: bye
0: sorry that this audio is a mess i thank you very much for watching and being here i hope you'll go visit adara's stuff and we'll see you next time family members Well, family members, we're almost done, but I want to invite you to hang out with me in some other places. I'm on Twitter and Instagram as my own personal self, and I have a Facebook page too, but I mostly just post photos over there. And sometimes people say, Hey, Megan, I want to mail you something. How do I do that? Easy. Just click the About tab on my channel page, and my most current P.O. Box info will be right there. I also run another channel, The Family. It's really a hodgepodge channel where we might post anything. Yeah, and I also sell shirts and stickers and stuff with the family and the Fangirl logos. If that is your cup of tea, I have a link in every description of every video. Finally, if you want to help out the Fangirl channel and make sure I'm putting out video essays for years to come, the best way you can help is by subscribing and watching more of my videos, whether they're new, old, whatever. Maybe even share one or two on social media, help spread the word. People who watch to the end of videos, like you, helps to tell the site, hey, this this is a good video. We should recommend it to other people. So, if you made it this far, leave me a comment of something like, "Hey, I made it to the end. Love ya. See you next time, family members. Bye."